I was gonna sing Perfect Abe, uh, the song from Legally Blonde, <laughs> but Ooh. like that's not really the song. It's called Perfect Day. But this is such a girl rock movie mm-hmm. that uh, it it brought that song back to my memory, which I genuinely enjoy. Uh, yeah. Remember that track from from Legally Blonde? It's like the opening scene. They, it's like going to Reese Witherspoon's room with the pink invite and stuff, and it was like, yeah, I perfect do day. Not. I do remember that scene, but I don't remember the music. The song, it, dude. It could. It, they literally could have played the song at the end of this movie, and it would have been like, oh yeah, perfect. That like, makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, yeah. I actually a, have a confession. Like I'm I, ready. Uh, it's n- not Legally Blonde, but just because you mentioned. Uh, you know, the nature of the movie we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. I have, like, it's a strange, I don't know what what caused it. I'm sure order a psychologist to, you know, like, figure me out. <laughs> we'll, we'll put that on our tab, yeah. Yeah, but, uh, <laughs> you know, like, I have a, like, unreal obsession with uh, girl band movies. Well, what other ones are there? Because this oh. one is very heartwarming, but like, what else qualifies in your mind? Uh, there, uh, there's a bunch of them. The Sapphires. Have you seen that? Nope. Um, nope. Uh, uh, probably my favorite of them all is "Ladies and Gentlemen," the fabulous uh, stains. With I haven't Diane seen Lane. that either. Wow, I haven't seen that. Okay, you haven't seen either. Yeah, I don't I think I've seen love one. Love it. Okay. I'm trying to think of like what's even more recent uh but yeah i thought this was going to end up being like that uh lady gaga film with bradley cooper mm-hmm. uh you know like i thought that's kind of what we were in for here like not exactly that uh-huh. obviously but just sort of a you know like these three gals you know mm-hmm. trying to make it in the big biz and then they struggle and they finally do that's what i thought this was going to be mm-hmm. Uh, have, you which of, is, have you heard of 1998's uh, Liam Neeson, Julia Roberts, Justine Bateman, Satisfaction? No. <laughs> no. I love that you're whipping these out. I'm not yeah, even going to see if they're real movies. I'm not even going to check. I'm, <laughs> yeah, I'm just, I'm just gaslighting you right now on a podcast. <laughs> you could be. I'll accept That's it. That's fucking great, dude. Yeah. Like that, yeah. Uh, I just think that they're – I think that uh, – I don't know. All I'll say about it is that I think that Hollywood – we can go get more into it later, but I think like Hollywood is terrified of the girl band movie, and they like half do it and half don't. Well, they didn't uh, do too much band in this movie. I, like, oh I, shit, I forgot about "Pray for Rock and Roll." I'm looking at a list oh. right now. <laughs> 2003, baby. Oh my god, I forgot. The, Pray the for Rock bands, and Roll. The name of the punk band in "Pray for Rock and Roll" is Clam Dandy. <laughs> Clam Dandy. No. Yeah, dude, yeah, they. Oh my god, it's fascinating. It's a fascinating subgenre, I guess, is what I would call it. I mean, uh, yeah, they they seemed to be halfway in on this band being cool, mm-hmm. and like about well, maybe not even halfway, about a quarter way in on that issue, and mm-hmm. about three quarters into them looking f- cool. Like you know, like it was a lot right. more about how they looked yeah. than whether they were an exactly, exactly. It's almost yeah. like they don't have like, oh my god, we we just suck as a culture. Uh, I haven't seen the 2010 movie. I'm excited to track it down. There's this, uh, there's a movie that is Dakota Fanning from 2010. Dakota Fanning, Dakota Fanning, and Kristen Stewart. 
uh, are in a band. Oh my god! They're a rock band called the Runaways. That's the name of the movie. Is the Runaways? Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna corral this into a, an episode. Yeah, not try. not because I'm I think it's fascinating that you've seen this many of these. But uh, this is Director Peace Theater. I am one of your hosts, uh, the beloved Adam Ganser. Uh, I'm called beloved by many, including my parents. Uh, and uh, I tell you that. Yeah, yeah, I know. I just wanted you to say it. Okay, wonderful. Yeah, okay. I just, I got, <laughs> yes, I got it. I got it. Uh, I'm the other guy. I'm the other director. Yeah, you are. The adorable. I say it and I like smell my own fart and I go, mm. <laughs> yes. Director yeah. Abe Epperson. It just leaks right out when you say it, too. Mm, yeah. Just gaseous. Right out me. there. Yeah. That's really what a fart is, right? It's like a gaseous form. Yeah, it's just a piece of you that's air. Yeah. Yeah, that's all it is. That's really all it is. You're totally right about that. Um, and today we're going to be dis- discussing, if you haven't seen it in the title, uh, the movie Josie and the Pussycats, which was released in 2001. Um, and very much when I watched it for the first time, not t- two hours ago, uh, felt like a 2001 movie. Uh, when did you first see it? Oh, right. 2001. Okay. So you, so th- how many times have you watched it? Would you say? Maybe four. Okay. Now you're going to love this hypocrisy before what? I turn, I turn the reins over to you. Mm-hmm. Josie and the Pussycats was one of the movies that I was like a go-to recommendation for me as a blockbuster employee because oh, you yeah? know I yes. So like people would say like what's a fun movie that nobody's watching and just purely based on feedback I heard from customers You're I would like you might like Josie and the Pussycats. Yes, and I constantly they were constantly like man you know all the movies and I'd never You're seen like, it. <laughs> You're like yeah, I do. I should be a filmmaker. <laughs> Maybe Maybe that's yeah. where the maybe that's where the the journey Out of the began. The loins of Blockbuster, I love it. <laughs> yes, they birthed me. I'm their I'm their only remaining legacy. Uh, yeah. Also, Jeez. by the way, you'll love this fact too about Blockbuster. I continue to get checks from them uh, because they keep <laughs> losing lawsuits. They keep, <laughs> they, they are still losing lawsuits. Most of them are about uh, unfair work environment stuff, like as in well, not giving people them. breaks. Yeah. Yeah, that's then what happened. Fuck him. Well, anyway, so this is uh this is an episode that's an Abe episode, <laughs> so you know it'll be adorable. Uh, yeah. About that subject, Abe, take it away, buddy. Dude, so Josie and the Pussycats, right? Yes, uh, right. I want to talk basically about uh this like how how it does subliminal messaging, but of course we have to start from somewhere. I can't I can't make art. If I do not have my clay. So uh, we got to get into your mind a little bit. Uh, dear right. And maybe you aren't super familiar with Josie and Pussycats. It's a cult movie. Pretty popular as far as cult status. But often overlooked, obviously, as cult movies often are. Maybe you haven't seen it. Or maybe it's been a while. So I'll kind of sum up what the movie's about. Uh, first off, directed by Harry Elfon and Deborah Kaplan. Uh, you may know those names from. They're also the directors of Can't Hardly Wait. Um, oh, yeah. that makes sense. Mm-hmm. That this makes sense. This is a comedy, as Adam said, from two thousand one. They squeaked right in right before nine eleven. Uh, yeah, I just think that that's relevant. It's not really. <laughs> oh no, I disagree. I, I but think it is. It's totally it, relevant. Yeah, it paints a portrait of a time, and I can. Oh, I'm going to talk about that a little bit later, I guess. So let's hold that off. But uh, yeah, two thousand one. Um. So yeah, it's a story of like a barely noticed rock band from Riverdale 
And yes, that one, it's actually like some people, like me, I didn't know when I started watching it. In fact, I didn't think I know knew until like the second viewing that it's from a comic. It's from the Archieverse, right? So it's it's Riverdale. Uh, unbelievable. Like <laughs> yeah. that, that alone is like, why? <laughs> but okay, like, sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. yeah and yeah. it's like, yeah, it's like a beloved comic. And the, there's even a reference at one point because they're like, why are you even here? is a line and the response is because I was in the comic books. It's like super like uh it's almost Scott Pilgrim-esque or you know like in that regard. Like it, it really breaks the fourth wall often. They wink um, they wink at camera literally and metaphorically a yes, number of times in this movie. Exactly. Um so yeah, this band is hand chosen by an elitist and like power, powerful we get the feeling that there's only one huge record company in the world, but a particular pop music executive played by Alan Cumming uh, has kind of just killed their in sync boy band analog for asking too many questions about what's the subliminal messaging inside their music. Um, and he's at the orders of Parker Posey, um, who kind of leads the whole subliminal um kind of uh wing of that uh of, of, of mega, mega records. records yeah she's also and, as i said to abe hitting a home run in every single scene she's in oh yeah just crushing um, this movie i can't say that anyone carries this movie because there's so many fun like performances but parker posey and alan cumming are bringing the fucking they're just bringing it. They're way more interesting and substantial than anybody else in yeah. this movie is. I think it's fair to say. Right. So yeah. the movie follows like uh, the band reaching the pinnacle of success, and then they start asking questions, much like DuJour, uh, which is the name of the boy band yeah. uh, that got destroyed with Seth Green and the guy Turk from Scrubs. Donald Faison, uh, baby. I love him so yeah, much. Donald Faison. Yeah. Uh, and... Uh, it, so it becomes like a kind of tete-a-tete between Mega Records and the band, as the record company clearly has a clandestine plot to add subliminal messaging into their music to control people, not just to buy brands and product placements, which is kind of what it's supposed to do, but also the nefarious leads of these projects, like Fiona, who is the name of the character that Parker Posey plays, wants people just to like love her <laughs> you know yeah so right. they're just trying to make teenagers drones right and uh it gets to the point where josie herself gets brainwashed by her own music which is kind of a nice little metaphor um and it's all done by this computer this magical computer called the mega sound 8000 which inserts minimal messaging into any mix that you put into it um this kind of fractures the group who ultimately reunite because their love for each other is so strong. And so they kind of ignore the messaging kind of programming and they actually smash the, uh, the, you know, mega sound 8,000. Uh, at the end, the government comes in and says that Parker Posey and Alan coming, you go to jail, but secretly they were involved. So they're just pivoting, uh, the teenage drone plot from music Two movies, which, you know, the movie makes a nod at, like, yes, the movie you're watching right yeah. now has some little messaging in it. So it's this kind of, like, um, it folds upon itself in a way that I think that only late 90s, early 2000s comedies can. Uh, well, still, it still feels as though everybody had a good time. Nobody yes. was really that bad. 
Like right. everybody like sort of had a reason that you can understand and you can kind of a pit- you can pity them even, you know. Exactly. Uh that's a key exactly. ingredient to I would say these two filmmakers. Mm-hmm. Like that's, that's what, that's they, what create they do. Lovable characters that you can just be like, "Ah, oh, you." Um yeah, and so it kind of ends just, and it ends as you'd expect. It's like a kind of popcorn movie. So Josie uh, tells the concert audience that they're going to sing new material instead of their singles, which have been, you know, like, are subliminal. Uh, and everyone loves it anyway, because they're just a good band. Um, sure. Which, honestly, just yeah. taking, a, taking a very wild step out, the songs are pretty good. Like for yeah, they, for a movie they band, really well produced, and it's and the machine working. <laughs> I know, I know. It's not like good music on the level of like this is interesting actual music that I would play on my own. But like for a movie pop song, it's as good as that thing you do or whatever. You know, like yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, and that's why I think it's a beloved cult movie. In my opinion, it's probably because it's wonderfully positive uh, characters, the relationship and dynamics of the core. Three, which is Rachel Lee Cook, Rosario Dawson, and Tara Reid, um, Josie, Valerie, and Melody, uh, you know, um, are are the characters. It features a like kind of subversion in a way of that classic rags to riches trope, where the band, at its crucial moment, chooses to remain friends and abandon their dreams of being like famous rock stars possibly in order just to do the right thing and like you know do the right thing basically uh like they could have just fallen in line and they just choose all the time not to um it's a very delightful gleeful colorful film that doesn't really have a mean bone in its body which is another thing i love uh because like for example even in the final moments when we like foil the quote-unquote bad guys who are really just mouthpieces um, to some extent, they reveal they're power hungry and evil because of insecurity and social stress from an American business culture that requires perfection. Uh, and so we find sympathy for them and they kind of like grow themselves and like confide to each other. They went to the same school and they're both kind of, uh, I don't know, I guess non-traditionally or I don't know what we would call it. That's one thing that I, I don't know how they're pretending. I don't know how you really do, but they because they're bad characters, you just say, Oh, they have like bad teeth and they have like no hair and, and slurs. Has, like, and, yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's just like um I don't know. But well, the point is they kind of are cool with that, is the point. So it's kind of perfect for the thing it's doing. It is interesting as like a just like a brief aside about this, because it's mm-hmm. this is what I think makes these films not translate to broader audiences, that basically everybody's problem in this movie is that they're all trying to look like something they're not. You know exactly. what I mean? Like, And ultimately the problem that Parker Posey has and Ellen Cumming is that they are literally trying to look as though they're different things than they are. Not right. the deep ang- like the deep angst and like, you know, pain that caused them to do that. They don't address any of that. Like it's all very yeah. like, oh, you have bad teeth. Well, I can forgive that. You know, like, that's really all it is. Uh, There's actually a really... Parker Posey does this really, like... uh, I noticed it this time, and I hadn't noticed it before. She has, like, a line when she's, like, starting to break down, mm -hmm, you know? mm Because they, like, call her out. Where I thought... Where she does the uh, lisping, because she has a lisp. Uh, She sells uh, seashells by the seashore. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. and she repeats it a second time, and then there's just this little like artifact of a line that is just like 
soul crushing. And I believe the, the quote is, she says, I tried my best. (laughs) And it's like such an indicative, like almost to the point that I wonder if it was like a improv. It's like so indicative of like a very particular history that that line alone transports me to like eight year old Parker Posey, not being bullied per se, but like even like, like a teacher kind of like saying like, all right, I'm just teaching you. You're not doing it properly. You know, and she's just like, I don't know what, why are you yelling at me? And it's just like it shows in a single instant, it really like teleports you to the reason for the sympathy, not just like, let me tell you a whole sob story about how I have been like, have you, her opening line is basically like, uh, have you ever had to try to be something you're not your entire life? Like, you don't know what that feels like to try to hide who you are. Right. Um, which is more traditional way of saying it because those lines are just like kind of true. Uh, and resonate with a lot of people, but I don't know. There's some. I think there's something even more to Parker Posey's character than even that. I would say yes, probably because she added it with. Uh, I mean, it's hard to you can't just like flippantly diagnose what makes this character interesting or not with one right. thing. But I would say that Parker Posey specifically is why the character is interesting, less than the character anything the character does. Like, it's things like the way she looks tired when she talks and, like, Mm -hmm. the way that she kind of flounces into rooms, you know? Oh, like, basically think of, uh, oh, what's her name? In Hunger Games, Elizabeth, um, why am I, Banks. Um, Yeah, or honestly, yes, but you know what it really reminded me of? And this was really kind of surprising. It reminded me of how everybody in New Girl does things, that show New Girl. Like, oh, interesting. You know how New Girl, like those of you who have ever watched it, has this like really lazy vibe to like the acting. And I don't mean that they're bad acting. I mean that they just right. kind of like do a half-assed job of the line no, on purpose and it's funny. Yeah, everyone's kind of cash. Yeah, everyone's real yeah. cash. And she's really cash all the she's time. She's really cash. And it's most very funny. Yeah. 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 I want to go into that tactic because yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's deliberate. Oh, 100%. Uh, she's you're right. Yeah. She's um, killing it there. Also, this reminds me just a very little bit. I know you're going to go here probably. It reminded me a very little bit of Austin Powers. Uh, not, oh. not just because they're the same time, but because just like Austin Powers, everybody... The tone of the comedy yeah. is all Austin Powers. Yeah, and also everybody in the movie is actually supposed to be a beloved character, like a doll that you end up just being right. like, eh, then they're exactly. friends afterward. You know, yeah, and they go exactly. golfing and shit. Uh, and that's true. Like you can think of even the supporting roles. They're like, they have big cast. I love the whole Eugene Levy stuff. <laughs> yeah. uh, that shit is like. <laughs> he was great. Yeah, I enjoyed he's, that. Uh, like he's just, he's basically comes on the teleprompter or he comes on the, they show a little movie they made to explain like the subliminal messaging, uh, you know, when they're like kind of doing their they're in their underground trend setting layer and they're like pitching it to countries like presidents of countries. And uh, right. like, this is the thing we can do and right. we can do it for you. And you're, you know, and the whole globe will be under our thumb. It's the same. Uh, it's almost and the same so it's set. Very, yeah. Yeah. Mega, mega records itself with the blues and the grays yep. and silver, just that, like yeah. cheap plasticky metally plastic. Mm hmm. Like even the cat ears look like something that was mm-hmm. generated in Doctor Evil's lab. Yeah, for sure. There's yeah, there's a lot of overlap. I think it's a little bit just sort of the aesthetic of 
Well, so Jay Roach directed uh, Austin Powers, and he's done a lot of stuff. These mm. two filmmakers, I, I haven't looked into their whole filmography, but like I would say also Can't Hardly Wait has a kind mm. of cheap plastic vibe to it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I think um, that the uh, you just look at sets in Josie and the Pussycats, and it's like yeah. everything looks like a Target ad or an Old Navy ad at that time, a, like a, and a really simplified version of it too. Like, uh, right? But but yeah, okay. So I don't want to. I know you got places right. to go. So, well, yeah, I just kind of like. <clears throat> so the way that this is gonna work is, you know, we're gonna talk all the way through it, but like, and I want to explain like the two, the two, like the the dichotomy of this movie as I see it. Uh, and then we can kind of talk about whether or not we agree with that uh, and if uh, it's a success. Um, specifically, I want to talk about how the movie and, in a way, movies in general on this topic of kind of propaganda uh, or subliminal messaging, how they navigate that space. When I say propaganda, I mean the word as, like, messaging in general. Or, in other words, like, trying to reveal context in a way that supports a particular argument now that sounds very broad because it is that's most films obviously so by my definition of the way i'm using propaganda right now any film that's trying to say like believe this person is good or believe this person is bad or wholesome or raw or authentic or um you know manufactured and bland um these are all arguments political arguments about a character or about something in the movie that the movie wants you as the audience member to understand and just to kind of assume as on faith this is the truth right so filmmakers kind of set up that uh, necessary kind of suggestion no matter what they're showing you context just by showing you frames uh, on a screen so right. all films are inherently propagandist if yeah. you take it for like that save some like in the 60s there's there's like some essayist films that are like not thesis driven and at all you know and like go away specifically get, get out yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah get out yeah, of here yeah, exactly <laughs> like just get the shut the fuck up shut the fuck up uh no, yeah, but, no it's but by your mm-hmm. argument every single assembled piece of media Film is a that propaganda you've basically piece. seen operates in yeah. this way right yeah it, that's what I, the space i'm talking about we're navigating yeah this film in particular makes a case for something that is kind of rare because there's this del- delicate balance between portraying your like big bad your evil side of the film your antagonists as they're the ones framing the conversation and forcing people to believe something and then it, you juxtaposed it with the wholesome scene work of the more genuine and real pussycats. There's a context that the film says, one of these things is good, one of these things is bad, and the filmmaker has to do things to provide context of which is which. So, that's kind of where I'm starting. To me, the reality is, of course, it's all ab- fabrication, and I think it's pretty expertly done when you start to look at the minutiae. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah. I want to start with the kind of world building. I think it's especially smart that they chose the villain as like a series of mouthpieces for an idea. And that idea is essentially control, manipulation, subservience, apathy. Uh, like everyone in – like almost all of the uh, – the movie pretty much is what it's trying to parody, right? 
everything is simplistic, formulaic. Uh, even the movie, save the exceptions I mentioned earlier about like subverting some tropes. Uh, and some people may even argue that Josie and the Pussycats, the ending message, the fact that they like, uh, they play in the biggest concert hall or whatever, you know, and have a great time and it's a happy ending, uh, is pretty, you know, vapid or naive, but I, I personally like it for what it is because like the whole thing is upfront about being bubble gum, like pop candy. I, yeah. Right? To me, it's like, you can't hate the movie for being, for being exactly what it is. Right. Like you can right. say this isn't for me, but like being like, no, it's bad because it's too like saccharine at the end it's like dude they've been wearing like fluffy pink uh like boas and like you know like like it's been this like bright color like bright colored uh hope and dream fest you know with like a light sprinkling of cynicism that gets dusted off the whole time come on now right you know Yuck. yeah so the, the movie kind of starts and it's like beatlemania right uh for this band du jour which i loved uh, th- mm-hmm. thrilled with Donald Faison in that whole sequence. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. thrilled with him. Yeah, also thrilled with the fourth guy who I didn't know because he mm-hmm. he crushes the third act. Like that guy who's the only guy that comes yes. back in the third act. He does yes. one thing that I'll talk about later that just <laughs> yeah. warmed my heart to max. You know, it was very yeah, good. There, almost everyone in this movie is good or stale, but even when they're stale, they're really good at it. Like it's intentionally stale. Uh, like I'd even say that like Tara Reed is not a great actor, but perfectly deployed in this movie. Well, see, and that's what's and, so funny is like, she's really playing against type here. Like she's, and by that, I mean like Tara Reed is not a sweet sort of like naive uh, hopeful right. figure in really any of her roles. Played. Oh, I know. That's that's what I thought was such an interesting. It was such an interesting casting decision there, because that's not what I, mean, I ever think of her. You know, this isn't. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, she is definitely more wholesome and lovable than like Bunny Lebowski. She's been in a lot of things at this point as sort of utilizing like, the same kind of tropes, right? She's kind of playing a dumb blonde when you get down to she, it. She's playing dumb blonde, but normally she's not playing dumb blonde in an earnest way. She's playing dumb blonde exactly. in this like jaded way. Right, you know? right. That's um yeah. And I think that that's to the credit of her and the movies, right? 100%. I agree with Melody that. Melody feels like an update to that trope as opposed to like a recursion into it. Um even though it does do the same things that she uh, like the scene the set shower scene is really funny to me. Yeah. <laughs> like she, the fact that she doesn't get it and she's so dumb is yeah. like really fun yeah. because the way they posit it where she it says like beware the music and she like puts a smiley face on it. like it's just like she w- refuses to get it. Like that's the thing. It's now a game it's less a like look at this dumb woman. You know, it's 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 not pointing and laughing at her. It's pointing at the game that the writers kind of decided to do with the character, which is a dummy, uh, just like, you know, Arrested Development does with Job or like Homer Simpson. I mean, just think of any fool in any uh, comedy. She's another of the long list of extremely dumb comedic characters that warm your heart, you know? But it's, yeah, it's the heartwarming part that I think we're pointing out. 
And but anyway, I was surprised I think that's how why the movie's a success. I that's I agree. It's a distraction. I agree. Yeah, I agree with that. Okay. Uh, so yeah, the movie starts and it's like Beatlemania for Dijor, uh, and they're like this massively popular boy band, <laughs> and it's kind of a pastiche of that time. It's kind of perfect because it was made during that time. Right. So like, even when it was being made, it didn't know that it was like so fucking like. Wow, this is really good. In 2021, this is really going to teleport me back. You know what I mean? Uh, and the way they do it is they do like candid footage of the band. I mean, this is all Beatlemania, right? They do down the barrel POV interviews of like the crazed fans. Yeah, fisheye. Like the fisheye fish eye is used a lot in this. Yeah. Uh, it does the thing where it makes a portrait of the insane popularity that a lot of movies have done. Um, there's production design choices. That really are indicative of the time, obviously. That really teleports you to, like, TRL in the early 2000s. Um, you know, like, you have to be a particular age in order to get this reference. But that's, like, my age. It's But it's this kind of modern, bright color, fashion, and design sense that would be outsourced to Old Navy ads and Target ads, like, five years later. Uh, but at the time, it was just, like I was saying, current. It, it does a fairly good job of selling us that look, which is very expensive, by the way, on a mid-range comedy feature budget. I just wanted to point that That's out. That's interesting. Is that they, they do a very – if you ever want to look at a movie that feels big, but actually the way they take it – the way they – like, oh, we have to sell that they're rock stars. Well, they're going to go get uh, – they, they, you know, like look at the uh, montages that are specifically focused on uh, how they are becoming bigger and bigger and bigger, right? Um, and obviously, in a budget for a movie to portray that, you'd imagine the spaces would get bigger, the, um, you know, the things would become more expensive, the cars more fancy. Um, this is all true. The way they accomplish it is they just put us, they do it through music video. And they have a montage of them like going shopping, but this is all stuff that they already have. They already have like a mall. They already have like, and they have like a photo shoot in the same space that they have like the music video. And just because the music video is very well and polished doesn't mean that it's, it, we don't see like all of the uh, neon lights, their names and neon lights and the red carpets of it all. Yet we do buy, oh, they are successful. Um, I just think that that's pretty impressive so, on a mid-range feature is, budget. Is, okay, so that's really what it is, is that they're managing to look like it's a $50 million movie when it's actually probably like a $10 million movie or whatever, right? Right, it's just the thing that they're reaching for, they're reaching for something that is hard to pull off if you don't have yeah. like the money, you know? And they are like, able to... they're not to... trying to do like... Yeah, they're not trying to do like an MTV Cribs or something like that, like just to cite something... That, like of that era, but like they're trying to cash in on the concept that that's in play in this world, you know, I they mean, behind the music. Yeah, that's right. It's all sh shown on TV. Right. They actually get Carson Daly. Right. But it's like, it's not very flattering how they have to get him. You know, that's, obviously that's kind of what I like about him in this movie. Oh, yeah, though, that he's yeah. willing to do that. Yeah. I mean, right. They, they very cleverly put things that seem expensive in the movie in a way that's completely inexpensive to show them. Mm -hmm. uh, you're right, right. That is very yeah. smart. I totally agree with that. Uh, anyway, um, last thing I want to say before we jump really into it is that 
there's something that the world also says about people. I kind of hinted at it earlier and you did as well. There's the overtly and obvious evil people in the world who are who kind of self-defined by success. And then there's brainless sheeple, which is all of us, which are defined by trends and purchases and consumerism. And then there's the band who's just real and authentic. So and, and these, some of their friends and a few of their friends orbiting them. And right? a few of their friends. Yeah. yeah. Um, the manager and uh, and his sister, uh, basically. But like, and yeah, to, but I, but that there's a split between all these things. To be clear, like, though, this is the movie is saying that it right? is saying that. To be clear, though, they're not, they're not Nirvana, they're not like Sonic Youth or some band that's like countercultural, like authentic in a countercultural way. Hold on to that thought because we're gonna talk about that. Later. Okay, fair enough. I just want to do real quickly. The obvious parts of the movies, but like, just so you know, really where we're what we're talking about, and the kind of the good work that they're doing, um, in this movie, via product placement and color, which is that you know, um, I'll just kind of go through them like as quick as I can. The movie starts with Dejour performing "Backdoor Lover," which is really unbelievable. Funny. Yeah, yeah, uh, and their their plane is in black and red with pink accents. Their fans all wear pink. Um, the plane has pink, pink accents as well. Um, Target has bought the inside of the plane. There's logos everywhere. Ivory soap in the background. I don't know if you noticed. Of course. There's just bounce dryer pads presented on the wall like an Andy Warhol painting. And then later when they're on like the same plane, it's Motorola who owns the inside of the plane. And by that, I just mean that the walls are covered with their logos. When we meet the band's bullies in Act One, it's a trio of women in pink, uh, and they're just dragged right out of Clueless. The world itself is con- like designed by malls and suburbs, much like if you've seen Edward Scissorhands. The way they portray that suburb is it's this oversaturated pastel-colored like grid of tiny boxes, um, and. Then we cut to Josie's house, and it's more in common with what looks like an abandoned house. But if you look deeper, it's like full of kitchen life. It's exactly what they're trying to say with the character, right? It's like they're not the suburb. They're like this other thing, but also familiar, but also different. Uh, All these little trinkets and pieces of art are in the yard. There's a montage early where it plays a Pussycats track over literal shots of brands. Like Sobe, Starbucks, Pizza Hut, Steve Madden shoes. It's all like presented as if it's an ad for those things, right? Uh, at one point, uh, they listen to a song and they determine that pink is the new red. Right. Uh, and then we determine that orange is the new pink. So all the people are like, I, I have to have this color now. What's brilliant about this movie is that it becomes more overt because they point at it. But they really do a good job of like every scene that it's like, well, what's what's the zeitgeist right now? Well, the the word on the street is blue. Okay, well, we're going to put in frame for no reason, just blue everywhere, like impossibly blue. And they do that. They really saturate the world with like the trends that are being set by the narrative or in general, just I need Puma sweats or I need a Zima. Uh, like when Wyatt plays the final like postmortem track of Du Jour, right? So, um, yeah, it's just like everything is internal about the system. They set everything. At one point, Parker Posey reads a Billboard newspaper, and if you freeze the movie and read it like I did, 
all the stories are about Mega Records or Josie and the Pussycats. Like the prop headlines and ad space created by the art director uh, is only being like Billboard only covers Mega Records, it seems. Um, It's just a really interesting notion that I just wanted to get out of the way in just terms of like the movie is doing subliminal messaging up front. They're not being subliminal, subliminal about it. They're being very upfront about the subliminality. Right. Subliminality. They're bringing yeah the subliminality. They're they're yeah. they're bringing the subtext forward enough that that becomes the thing that you're noticing for sure. You're now noticing it, and even though they use the same tactics, like it's just in the background, or it's stro. Sometimes it's more noticeable. They like strobe text for one frame on the, you know, on the actual footage. But uh, that says like buy this or something like that. But like that's what the ad, that's what the ads serve, you know. Like in a way, the montages that are like they are like oh wow, their status is increasing. We just sh- see shots of more premier brands, <laughs> you know. Right. I mean, that's really the they do the do that. They're dealing with. Yeah. I, mm-hmm. Like I also did a little research about this before we talked, uh, and found that. They did not pay for a single brand to appear in the movie, mm-hmm. uh, which I was surprised to learn because I thought, man, it would be such a movie thing to do to make jokes about this, but then also pay these brands. But they didn't do that. Uh, so, I mean, there, that creates still a complicated conversation that I know is the one you actually want to have. So I don't want to say it for too long. Yeah, I want to. Yeah, let's pivot to that yeah. though, because I think there's a great example just to let the audience know of like the kind of space we're talking about that, and then I want you to say what you're you're kind of kind of yeah. say about the punk rockness of it all. Right. Uh, and there is a woman in the movie. Uh, there's a character who that when Wyatt goes to like the Tower Records or I forget what it is, um, he plays uh, he plays like the post mortem track. Like they have just died, du jour. And he's still playing, like, oh, this hasn't been released yet. Play it and tell everybody. And then everyone of me, and the whole goal is, I think, that why it's like, yeah, still got it. You know, like, he, he wants to see if that he can change the zeitgeist from pink to red, and he does. <coughs> and there's this woman who walks up and points out, like, she sees right through his bullshit, points out the vapidness of the music, uh, right. And she wears like a punk ensemble, right. noticeably right. a Madonna T-shirt. And I wanted to talk about that and hear your thoughts in general about what we're going, what we're talking about now, which is uh, Madonna. That T-shirt uh, is another punk rock aesthetic that lampoons pop music. So it's just facsimiles of rawness marketed as pop music, lampooning right. pop music. Right. Which is this movie? Uh, exactly that. So that sh- that shirt should tell you how serious they are about this critique, which is not very. You know, like that's like right. that's the wrong shirt for that person to be wearing. Like that person should be wearing, I don't know, a Misfits shirt or something. You right. know what I mean? If like they were going to be honest. Yeah. yeah, I mean, or if they were going to fit the trope of the person who refuses to be a part of this whole culture yeah, and the trope. The, uh, yeah, if right. they're going to do that trope, but they don't really want to do that trope. They kind of want to nod at it so that you will shut up and not actually engage with that. So you'll shut up. I like that's what that. they did to the to the that's literally what they did to the woman. They like shut her in a van. You never see her again. 
Oh yeah, right? yeah, yeah. But I mean, I don't think that the movie is necessarily saying that we want to shut her up. Uh, it's saying that Isn't... Wyatt does, right? Well, like this is another think... reason why he's despicable. I th- yeah, yes. They again, but I think that's a very a somewhat clever way of hanging a ha- hanging a hat you on think a critique. Lampshade, yeah, it, is what you're yes, saying. hanging a hat or a lampshade on this critique. And then shoving it out of the movie. So it's like, look, you know, we don't want to, if you're going to be a sourpuss, you're not, you don't belong in this movie, you know, like. Okay. Let's take. That's how I read that. No, I like it. Uh, Let's take that read and extend it farther. Right. Great. I think the movie, and I think you'd agree, is lampooning all the things that it is. Right. It's a vehicle for brands. Yes. It's a damning indictment. Also of trend based cultures. Right. Uh, Yes. If they wanted to really do this story because they cared. The band is wrong. It's the wrong band to do the story about. Sure. Okay. That's the first different thing. Movie. It's a, yeah, well, yeah. that's the thing, though, is like, it's not a different movie. It's a question. Of, well, it is. You're right about that. It is a different movie. But it's yeah, not. Right. right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, it, <laughs> but it's not like, but it would be more purely about what it's, what it supposedly is about. I see yeah, you know? they could be more brutally honest about like how fucking useless trend-based cultures are, or something well, like I that. Kind of, more damning. Yeah. More. Instead, they choose like they essentially did what in the '90s did with rock. They were like, "Let's define rock." Okay, rock is like, yeah, this is what rock is in the '70s and '80s, and then they were like, "Okay, in the '90s, rock has been around for a while." What are we going to call this new thing that is also rock but like more updated? Let's call it let's call it alternative rock. Right, exactly. You know like right. it's 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 the rebrand, it's the recycle, it's Pepsi Pepsi new or Right. It's it's Pepsi it. 1 and not it's Diet Coke or whatever. Coke, Coke 2. Yeah. <laughs> I'm nailing it. <laughs> Coke Prime. You enjoyed the smooth no, but taste of Coke 1. <laughs> to put this in to put this in like a like an actual historical context though because it matters. Uh-huh. So like this actual conversation about corporatization and rock was like it had been happening for a long time, but it really was happening in the early '90s. So like these guys aren't visionaries for pointing that out. Like no. like it was more significantly pointed out by some acts earlier that decade. So they're borrowing mm-hmm. from that. Also, let's be for fair, sure. they borrowed this topic and then kind of buried it in the advertisement for it. So like they they were not upfront with what kind of movie this was about like this was it was just come watch the Josie yeah, and the Pussycats right. it's a fun right it's it's girl but band it's not movie. like but it's not ironically Amy done Everson come to the theater <laughs> come on Abe you'll like it you're gonna love it, it. but it, it's not like it's Starship Troopers where like you have to take a step back and the appreciate what the parody on its is sleeve. yes yeah or it's like. Once you start realizing the tone of the movie, you go, oh, okay. Well, that's... You know, you realize what kind of comedy it is, and then you go, okay. But it wasn't marketed that way, is what you're saying. That's part of what I'm saying. I'm also saying that they're not really doing it because the base elements of this critique are not being done correctly. Like, if you wanted to... Like, like, honestly, if you wanted to do this critique, there are two things they could have done that would have been more interesting. And I, you're going to think I'm a dick, but I'm just going to say it. The first one is they could have done an electronic band. What a dick. Like, but, but couldn't they? Like, that's music that wasn't popular enough. An electronic 
Wait, oh, you mean like Electronica? Yeah. Yes. Okay. They could have done like Kraftwerk. Like Kraftwerk, but something updated, right? Like like something like closer to Prodigy or you know, whatever. <laughs> like Kraftwerk two. <laughs> yeah, Kraftwerk yeah. Zero. No, you're right. Uh yeah. right. That would have been a more daring I space. See That's one idea. Yeah. Another idea Because that that would be the new space. Yeah. You know, kinda like punk was to the original, you know, just like I guess like uh, pop rock agreed know? another idea um, that's kind of also cliche too is the truth but it would still be a more authentic approach is they make these uh they make the band full of people who aren't uh conventionally attractive and make them care more about their music you know what i mean like like oh, our music you, you really matters that. you know uh yeah because yeah, these yeah. people it's are smoke fest all up in here everywhere yeah and you're saying it could have been just like more like uh oh, what about the common people or, or <laughs> you know you pick like i don't know just uh, see, I, don't... I love that I, that's my god you don't understand how much i love movies about bands sure uh, sure uh they can never the resist. Fucking... They can never resist. Bradley Cooper, Lady Gaga. Right. Like, she's, she's not pretty the, enough. She's yeah. the hidden gem. I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She came out of the mud. And I'm like, her? Yeah, Lady Gaga. <laughs> Lady Gaga? Get out of here. The queen? Well, that's the problem. Yeah. They're not They're not really gutsy about stuff like that. No, Because they they're terrified of actually undermining the success of the movie by having somebody that's not attractive in the lead role for this stuff. Because that's they believe that's what music is, you know. Like, have you seen Rockstar? I have, and Rockstar. I hated it. Uh, I fucking love Rockstar. Well, but you I like it ironically. Rockstar with you, you like it ironically. No, I don't. Uh, no, I all don't. Right. <laughs> all right, I mean, I'll accept that, but I'm not going to engage with you on it. I'm not doing that. Okay, I want to talk opinion. about. <laughs> I want to talk about no, but that's an Abe opinion. All right, uh, I want to talk about how. Uh, like this dichotomy we're now splitting up on ter- in terms of the actual movie and right. how it has to present right. these two worlds now. Uh, just because I think that that is fairly interesting. Cool. Uh, our first view into Josie and the Pussycats is the intro of the movie, like credits sequence. It's also a music video. So we saw Du Jour, a music video, which looked exactly like in sync. Uh, and then we have Josie and the Pussycats. What does that look like? Because as filmmakers, we want the audience to understand that they're more raw and authentic than the thing you just saw. This corporate parallel is there's something off about it, right? So how do you convey that with just a camera and and sound? You know what I mean? Yep. Um, and the way they go with it is to just make it more punk rock, right? The uh, there's ca- I mean there's also I, I, candid charm. Well, you, I, I, I want to. I just want to. <laughs> what's your fucking problem, bro? Uh, it's like not that punk. Like they never do anything punk in this movie. They they Yo, it's corporatized. It's, punk. Well, that's meant, what alternative like, is. Like, honestly, alternative is that it's like corporatized punk. Uh, yeah. So I, yeah. Anyway, I'm sorry. This is just quibbling over words. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 But I, I'm look. I'm not. At the end of this, I'm not going to be shitting on Nirvana. No, no, Radiohead's no. still going to be great. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Every, everything, all your music is fine, All right, dude. bro. Uh, no, I, uh, thank you. I'm glad you're taking your little shots. I love it. It, tr- it, it really it warms my heart. Oh, such a dick. But Nirvana makes this movie largely irrelevant. That's the thing. That's that. Like, I'm just going to say that now. That's all I'm going to say. I'm going to bring it later. Serenity now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now the airing of grievances. All right, go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. 
right. Yeah, 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 yeah. But you know what I mean, right? Yeah, yeah, when yeah. you look at the it look like the music video itself is like that corporatized. It's punk, only that. Guess, like punk. it's only and it, it doesn't right. have any of the it doesn't have any of like the real effort that it takes to make that mm-hmm. stuff feel cool. Right. You know? But there's and there's a weird setup that they do, which I think is interesting and very effective. Okay. Even though it does feel, and I feel what you're saying, there's a false, there's a falsity, you know, false sense to it, uh, which is that uh, anytime we're like, we want to say Josie and the Pussycats or just the Pussycats, they fucking, they just rock and they're just having fun. And it's just exactly what you want music to be. They use all of the tricks that music videos use all the time, right? Yeah, They absolutely. use dynamicism of camera, dolly and jib arm moves, which mean they can move, move bu- both up and down and forward and back. You know, like, it feels like a Michael Bay film up in here, right? And that's the real, authentic Pussycats. When we go and show, like, du jour, or we show the product placements on the wall, we use wide-angle, static, stale presentation. Usually, flat yeah, shots. that's right. It is very flat, and even with which is amazing because it's. I think one of the coolest things in the movie happens right at the beginning, which you mentioned fisheye, which they use for some of the fans to kind of show how unhinged they are. They do that. They but, do that regularly in the movie, by the way, almost every but time. Something happened in the '90s that made like like an element of the cool lexicon of camera moves that like music videos and like TRL and like play frankly cultures and bands that had no place using a fisheye lens. Not that I am like the, the king of fisheye lenses or something that gets to say like, this is acceptable, but like, it's funny to me that like NSYNC and Backst- Backstreet Boys used fisheye lenses for some of their uh, like wide shots of the band. There was a which has there was this a... kind of like warping and it's kind of hideous. Right. But that's something they did. The filmmakers were like identified that and said like, oh, this is already the trope of our movie where we kind of show really kind of off putting wide angles of the thing. They actually do that. Like that's something NSYNC and Backstreet Boys and all the boy bands they did themselves. So they're like both lampooning and staying visually consistent within the movie, There's, which is kind of cool. There is an actual director, I think it was Hype Williams, who mm-hmm. actually brought that fisheye look into the zeitgeist in music videos. I think it came from uh, uh, skateboard videos, right? I, I mean, who invented it? I don't of know. Like I, but I'm saying, I think Hype Williams is the guy who... Is like, like the no, fisheye guy, the like seminal. I think yeah. he did that really okay. famous uh, Missy Elliott move, like video with all the air blasting mm-hmm. through her puffy jacket and stuff. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, like I, and like so, like they're identifying a thing that was like the look for a lot of hip hop videos, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, um, yeah. I think it it has something to do with that. That's what we're talking about right. here, though. It's like the raw appeal, right? Right. right. The authentic appeal. Uh, the editing is also unhinged, just like me. Ha 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 ha. You know, like that's the kind of tone they're trying to evoke. It's like when they edit the punk video, it's just like, I'm just going to cut here and then jump cut. I don't give a fuck. Wee. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Meanwhile, what they're jump cutting, which I, I find even more interesting, is that in this credit sequence at the beginning, the footage is sometimes shots of the cast in like me- medium close to medium wide. 
jumping on an off-screen trampoline and the the camera's looking up so it's like this very vibrant saturated blue sky with clouds and they're jumping in slow motion and they're very excited and it looks like an allergy or laundry detergent ad and it's just such a weird thing to put into this is like a punk music video but they're also having good times let's cut to vignettes of them like hanging out with puppies like it's literally all the stuff that you see in ads and they're selling it to us as this thing that it's like this is what is authentic and that's fascinating to me uh and i i think i know why i guess is what i'm saying like i think it all kind of comes down to a parker posey scene okay there's a great scene where parky parker posey her opening move to get the pussycats to like her is she brings them into her room and instigates like a girl chat where they eat trashy food and talk hot goss. I, even though neither of those things happen yeah, they because eat a like chip. Parker yeah. doesn't <laughs> won't eat the Pringle. Yeah, yeah. And when they talk about hot gossip, you know, like they're just the pussycats are not the type of people who give a shit about that. They're just like, I don't know, fine. You know, like so when the pussycats kind of are not giving her anything, specifically Josie. Uh, and they're just reactionary and honest about like who they f- feel they are. And like she, she makes it like Parker Posey makes a dig at her show- revealing her own insecurity at Josie's weight, even though we know they're both fucking hot, you know, like it's right. And it's like, how much do you weigh? It's like, well, I weigh three pounds less than you, but that's fine. You look fine. <laughs> you know, like it's, she's completely insecure. You see where she is, but I think it's also important that Josie's just like, way upfront and honest about it. Like, she's just like, yeah, sure. I'll tell you what you want to know. The moment that she's reactionary and honest, it phases Parker Posey and her lisp comes back. Right. This is all like what the narrative of the movie is trying to do. Uh, And she has uh, like, so Parker Posey has to like go behind a vanity folding screen to like put herself together. But the point is that in this movie, much like the mega sound 8,000 is magic in terms of like convincing people just to be drones and follow a thing. Josie's like unadulterated authenticity is also magic and just cuts through the bullshit. Um, I think that that's, I think that's the key here is that when we look at like this paradoxical aspect uh, or this idea that the film is the lamp is lampooning itself uh it kind of points to this dramatic ar- argument that is collapsible and it makes us feel like, well, then what are you saying? Like the director is breaking the fourth wall and there's other movie maneuvers in this movie that to me add up to the film saying this, this, the thing you're watching operates using the same methodology. The movie is saying that is despicable and needs to be dismissed and should be outed. Yet at the same time, they use that methodology to convince you to like something else. So in a sense, it is very much paradoxical, right? Um, Which I think is kind of what you were saying, right? It's Yeah, it, it just makes me wonder, like, are they really doing this critique or are they inadvertently making fun of the thing that they're actually saying? You know what I mean? Like they may like which side of this line do they actually fall on? Is this a valid, interesting satire? Or is this, this a is, self-aware... Yeah but still commercial way of trying to sell stuff to you, you know? Well, 
the way I feel about it, because of the way it kind of um, eats its own tail, I guess, you know, the movie, when you strip that all away, the movie is about being honest with yourself and identifying based on self, not culture. So why wouldn't a film like that be upfront about its obvious manipulations? I think the movie movies attempt to be genuine despite having a classic like band plays a concert and everyone loves it ending or look at these you know ads, look at these trends, look at these brands. Uh, I don't think it's the, you know, like cashing in on pop sensationalism, how I learned to love the bomb. Uh, because at the end of it, you, the audience, and tell me otherwise if you didn't feel this, you don't care if they have success or are famous at the end. You literally just, they just like they say, they say, hope you like the songs, and that's it, right? I mean, yeah. Like, are you, you gonna, don't care. Are you going to extol that as a virtue of this film? Is that... I think it's it's showing you that all this stuff is collapsible. It all goes away. The The brand iconography lampooning stuff is fine. It's not something that's load-bearing when it comes to the message of the movie. Because the message of the movie is how to do something, and all this other shit is auxiliary. It's pointing out that like trend setting and you know following that kind of you know culture or whatever uh, is is dumb. Okay, but it's irrelevant. Is the point? Yeah, because the real relevance is just you know having a good time. Well, know, I, I, being pals, knowing what you're all about, and le- not letting others define so, you. Right? Well, that's what that's what the their manager screams while uh, shirtless right. at the end. Naked. Uh, which is, you know, a, a fine moral for a movie, but I'm kind of waiting my turn here because I have some counterpoints I want to make to. The, okay, great, great, great. Yeah, go. So I, I'm going to ask you this question, and I don't mean this is not a stump gotcha question. I mean this sincerely. What does Josie want in this movie? She says her want uh, at the beginning, which is that she wants people, uh, she wants people to hear their band, basically. Uh, it's in the uh, scene with the uh, the bowling alley scene, scene where we see for the first time they're playing to no one. Yeah. Um, and she's just like, uh, she's basically just like, I wish there was just more people who heard us. So her want is what she gets at the beginning of the movie, which is a very typical structure of these things, right? Well, right not stretch. always. They immediately in Act 1 get what well, they want. Well, okay. And then other things start tacking on. That happens. And, and like so that. then the need is to, like, stay true to her voice or whatever. Like, f- fine. Yeah, exactly. But, like, we have no idea what her voice is. Uh, or really any of them. We, we, like, none of them really have unique identities or, like, wants that are that are... Uh, identifiable except by sort of okay well we've subtracted all these things so I guess this means this is what the need is and to me what would make this movie like a 10 like what like this is the a great film is if they wanted something really identifiable that they didn't get I mean or needed I guess if you want to use those distinctions they needed something really identifiable that we understood and then got it at the end and they don't which is sort of why this movie I really liked it yeah, I get- by the way I see that. I see that. I think that they, um, I wouldn't say they failed at it, but they definitely try to in- 
incorporate that with the uh, love interest. Arc, well, that's what they do. They, they did all, the same thing in Can't Hardly but, Wait. In Can't Hardly Wait, the main character, Pre- I think it's Preston. I, I can't remember his name. Uh, all so. he wants is uh, this girl, right? So like his want right. is very surface level. Now, it's fine for a movie, but it ultimately means that like we don't know or care about him or really that relationship that much. Uh, mm-hmm. because we don't know anything about him, you know, like, like, I think that's fine. And that's a fair reading of the movie. I think it's missing the point though, a little bit. I don't think so. Like you're not supposed to care. Like it's trying to convince you not to care. So in it's that trying way, to convince you not failed. to care about the protagonist's needs and wants. Yeah. So I think, uh, typically movies do this thing where they set out in the act one, what is your want? Right. And then act three, uh, or your need, I guess, in some movies. I think it's mostly just wants and comedies. Um, Act 3 ends that, right? It, 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 it serves the purpose set out by Act 1, which is The character's need. The thing that you wanted, you succeeded or you right. didn't. And in comedies, it's always you, you, did, you succeeded. Right. right. Josie and Pussycats runs a little different. Like some other films, it chooses to not... To abandon or, as you said, kind of superficially examine the want. Um, because who wouldn't want to be famous? Who wouldn't want to be a success, right? They abandon it. Once they get it, they, it's not just that they're just like, ah, oh, fame isn't all the things that it's, uh, you know, like, you know, all the things that you'd hope it'd be. No, from the get-go, they're like, why is this happening? This is happening too fast. When they're there, they're right. just like, this is insane. Right. You realize that they never really were a success. Right, they didn't love them. You they were all manufactured. You didn't love us for us, right? Right, but it isn't something that they did. Other than the choice to ex- sign the contract, which is transactional and plot-driven, the movie is not about the music and the success. The movie is about testing some friends and the friends succeeding. Uh, which is, which is um, why this so, movie is not great. Like because the protagonists are inactive, and because I don't know what That's I don't fun. know yeah. what their music is compared to how people were That's listening right. to their music. Like what was wrong with the songs themselves that were being right. played? And the answer is nothing. Nothing was wrong with them except for the subliminal messaging. So if right? you if the music was different or better, you'd like the movie? No, if I understood... Because there's two things going on right now. No, I'm I'm establishing that what we said was she wants people to hear her music, right? That's what she wants, more people to hear her music. And then you said, and I agree with you, this movie gives her that right away. Now, and then we're going through kind of... We're going through sort of a murky journey where, well, they're kind of not really hearing it because they're subliminal messages, which I guess we're supposed to take as meaning they might not really like her songs if there wasn't these subliminal messages telling them they like the songs, which is not how subliminal messaging works, but fine. Uh, yeah, in the magic of the movie. Kind of. They didn't explain that very well, but kind of, okay? So I guess at the end, then the truth is they listened to her songs without the subliminal messaging, and therefore she got what she wanted. But, like, it's not a powerful emotional... Move moment because ultimately, right? It's a passive problem that they didn't super solve. Uh, it's because it didn't matter, and that's what I mean. So then it's like, well, uh, you know, 
it was fun. I had a good time. I had a good time. And undercutting mm-hmm. those kinds of things is a thing in comedy movies, especially from that era. I get that. Like Austin Powers, yeah. what does Austin Powers want? You know, to defeat Doctor Evil, man. Stop fucking asking these questions. Scream, Scream. Yeah, Scream does, does it. it too. But Scream does it in a much more self-aware, carefully orchestrated way. Like Scream does it by like carefully pointing out here I are the conventions and then undoing yeah. them, not like Josie and the Pussycat, which is right, kind of right. just doing the conventions. Like that's kind of why I brought up Scream. Right, Scream does the same thing that this is doing, but Scream is the movie that you're looking for. But I don't think, and it's if you're looking at Josie and the Pussycats, you're never really going to get it. I, I right? well, uh. Because the movie you're looking for, if I'm understanding, I just want to make sure I'm yeah, yeah, understanding yeah. your point of view, right? That the reason that Scream is not not to make it necessarily qualitative, but just for brevity's sure. sake, uh, better is because it uh, reconstructs and deconstructs in front of you the tropes. The tropes aren't the point in Josie and what, the What is the point? Though, right? Well, you tell me what it is then, because I'm curious what you think about that. I think it's about friendship and, uh, you know, having a good time well, with your see, pals. Well, see, but that's like, uh, yeah, man, I feel like it's... And uh, and not letting... Uh, I mean, to, honestly, I mean, I know I'm being, like, facetious, but, like, it's a, it really is knowing what you're all about, not letting others define you. It's about self-identification, not cultural identification. And my, and my point to that, I agree with you that the movie does say that. I completely agree with you. And, like, if this movie mm-hmm. was dazed and confused, I'd say they would have hit a home run, because mm-hmm. that movie does that message really well. But like they days and confuses. Yeah, it is a good movie, right? And so what I'm really doing is I'm saying this movie is not successful at establishing that because it wants us to kind of care about the journey of the band, and we don't really connect to the individual passions of the band that much in more than a very surfacey way. The entire band is extremely surfacey. But exactly, the whole world is superficial. Nonsense. Well, but then it's like, well, then why are you Every critiquing? Element of right, the movie. right. So then the question becomes, well, then why would we bother doing this satire about how corporate, like how corporatized everything is, if you're not going to give me something that's actually real or authentic to anchor me? Because there's, because uh, then that would, to me, that would be, that would actually be a slap in the face. Of the theory I'm talking about. I don't think about. so, because be, you made a whole argument here. Because then it here. wouldn't be a collapsible theme. It wouldn't be something that is in its heart paradoxical. The idea is to be paradoxical. I think I think you've used some words that I don't completely understand what you mean by them. I don't think okay, the movie... Well, okay, I, I don't also don't want to like sit here and be like, this theory doesn't make sense. That's not... Because no, I don't no, think... I, I, I but like I don't it. think that. I think everything you said made sense, and I agreed with it. The point where I'm like, well, yeah, but I still don't think this movie works is because I don't agree that it's being like, look, man, your plot conventions and your like and your satires like they don't really matter, man, because we're just here having a good time because I would say we didn't have enough of a good time for me to think, yeah, yeah, you're right. This was really more about hanging out and less about the structure, you know, like the movie really leaned into the structure, I I would say. In other words, like always, you know, movies don't. It, why doesn't this movie work? Because it it didn't work on you, you know. Like, uh, I do think it's no consistent. I don't think it is. It's I don't very think it is. Consistent. And here's here's what I mean by that. I don't think okay. it is because in order for it to truly work, we needed to know what the Pussycats mean before they get to like become stars. 
And ultimately, the version of them as stars is really just them in different outfits. Like the music doesn't change at yeah, all. That's where I disagree with you because I don't just I just don't think that that's what's because by doing so, uh-huh. by making them actually real and authentic, yeah. you displace the commentary. I mean, not only would it be like because like obviously we're talking about like something that is a comedy and we you know it doesn't take it doesn't itself take itself that seriously. seriously. I agree because then it would be saying then it would be saying that the. Th- tricks that we did to you the viewer as the filmmakers in one instance was good and one instance is bad and just believe us that the good one isn't as many well so right so you're which in reality it you're is. doing the you're doing the derrida's logic right which is like once you point the finger you're pointing the finger in both ways right which I, like that's fine and i agree in like an existential sense i agree with that logic let me give you an example of a movie that i think kind of treats its subject in a similar way, but is more successful. Uh, the example I'm thinking of is Heathers. Now, Heathers has Heathers has flaws. It's a great movie, though, but it has a lot of flaws. It is as silly as this world, right? I think we can agree with that. Maybe even a little sillier, right? Mm-hmm. So the hero in that movie, Winona Ryder, and like the sort of, I guess we'll call him the catalyst character played by Christian Slater, they also are unreal, like they're not authentic and like like these are real people and then everyone else is a maniac. That's not the kind of movie it is. Everyone in the movie is kind of a maniac in one sense or the other, right? Like they're all exaggerations. Mm-hmm. But they're grounded enough and I understand their point of view enough that the journey that they're on and then get to at the end uh is meaningful to me. You know, like it's meaning like I understand like it's meaningful and it's not in heaven. Yes. Yes, whereas in this movie okay. yeah. we I, never have okay. Like a, the Winona Ryder character, like I think Josie's supposed to be that person, and then I think she didn't quite nail it, so they kind of split it between her and Rosario Dawson's character. And Rosario Dawson's performance is a little better, but also there's just not a lot of substance there. Why are they friends? Because they have a picture together of a bus of them in a bus pass. Okay, uh, and like mm-hmm. you know, what does their friendship mean? Everything because they're in a band together. Okay, uh, and then you know. They try to break up and they don't. I mean, I don't know. I guess that's every movie ever. What I'm arguing is it's to its credit by staying on that surface area level. You know, like by doing that, by staying on the surface, you you have now freed yourself up to lampoon at all. To say that I, my, the very thing that I'm making is by its design manipulative. Uh-huh. If you include, but this is for real, for real though, like for real though, like if you do that in that type of movie, now you're, you have to explain how that part isn't manipulative and they can't make that argument. I I don't think anybody, I don't think anybody is obligated as a filmmaker to explain how the thing they want to say isn't manipulative. Uh, Nobody's obligated to do that. Well, but I don't know. I think that's you doing a serious man reading of this. That's what I think is happening here. I don't know. I think it's so upfront with the fourth wall breaks. It does have fourth wall breaks. I agree with that. And I think maybe we're in the same objection we had with Clueless. I think maybe we're having the same objection because Clueless also kind of leaned on that line like, is this a meta narrative or isn't it? And we kept having a conversation that ultimately was like, is there a God or not? <laughs> like that's what it came down to. Right. Which maybe is what's at right. stake here. That's what we want right, to right. do. Which maybe that's what's at stake here. I think that the audience doesn't need to be uh to to have the problem of uh 
the epistemic problem of what is real explained to them at the outset of the movie to justify making a movie. Like, I think that you can, the, the filmmaker has license because it's mass communication to say this is real because it feels real to you, and this isn't because it feels fake to you, and you can accept it at that. Uh, and I think you're saying, logically, that is impossible, sir, because a movie is always fake. Sure, everything's always fake, you know what I mean? Like, you're right. Uh, that's how that's how the epistemic gap exists, my dude. So, yeah, I, I'm, yeah. I know that we we know this. We, we all know it's all fake. I'm not saying that any one movies can't say that there's something that exists that is raw and authentic and it's real. And in this movie, you're experiencing okay. it. I'm not saying movies cannot do that. I'm saying in this movie, they set up a specific world and they build it in the where such nothing a way, matters, right? There's where nothing matters. Even even the contention that the opening image of the Pussycats are like an ad. Uh, because of that, uh, you have now stripped away all all concept that this is a real world. See now, I think, uh, and that's what it's taking credit. That's what its power is. That's why it's awesome. I powers. would say, like, a, so okay. I think the fundamental thing is I disagree with that read of this premise. Although everything else you made, you said about this, I totally agree. Like, I would okay. love to do this conversation about one of the following things: uh, Marvel movies. I think Marvel movies, mm-hmm. there's totally, I think, the assumption that nothing matters. Uh, like, on the level that you're talking about, I think that is absolutely the case there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they also wink at camera for that reason. Um, I would do it about Rick and Morty or any show like that. Like, those are the kind of shows that I think are willfully inviting you to say, no, 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 don't ever expect us to resolve this. Like, this is pure journey. Mm-hmm. Pure and you don't think uh, Jay Z and the Pussy? Not really. I think that I think it's doing comedy mm-hmm. and therefore not that invested in the plot. Which Austin Powers is actually doing more what you're saying, but they didn't do a good enough job. Like none of the Pussycats are Austin Powers. If they were, I'd be like, yeah, yeah, okay, I get it. But they're pace. They're sort of treated as you said as authentic, real characters. I think. Yeah, and, and it you're doesn't told work. That Austin Powers is a ladies' man, despite the fact that he well, is. Yeah, but but and for despite, jokes, and the we just are but for jokes. Yeah, but for jokes, but the world building they do is they show. Yeah, they find him irresistible. Women find <laughs> right, Austin right, Powers irresistible. Right. That is a leap of logic that I wouldn't say is too far than to say these three friends are like inseparable and love each other. I, no, no, that I don't disagree with what the movie said as the premise. What I do disagree with is that we're the movie intends for us to divest mm-hmm. our interest in the band and its success. I think that they wanted us to care, but they failed to make us care. That's what I think happened. Uh, that's, I, I think, I, I, don't, I don't mean fail entirely because I was happy for him at the end, but I think that it could have worked better if they, if we'd known the band better. Like my critique is this just, just didn't t- totally hang together because the characters weren't invested enough with needs and wants. And I think your critique is no, no, that's intentional because like, they don't want you to care about the, the band stuff. They kind of want everything to seem like a flaccid corporate facsimile. And I think I am saying maybe they're accidentally saying that. I don't think they set out to say it. Like I can stipulate to that. And that I can stipulate to that. And that is what we're saying 
here at the <laughs> Theater. <laughs> uh, yeah. Those two things from two different Right. Lines. I mean, if you were making Who... this movie, if you were making it yeah. and you made exactly this movie, mm-hmm. knowing you, I think I'd go further and say, yeah, yeah, you did it. You know what I mean? Like, like even if you didn't really change a frame, which I know you would have, but like, even if you didn't change a frame, I think I would probably, because I know you and know the way you think about that, I probably would read it more that way. You know, and I understand that, you know, authorial intent is a difficult thing to surmise. Absolutely. But you know what, man? Like, I also am not of the school of like, none of it matters. Yes, it does. That's how words work. You know, like, uh, you can't just throw away what a person was trying to say. But that's not... Dead on arrival is what you're saying. No, no, I I disagree with that. I I did like their relationship. I did think it mattered. I didn't say that. I just think that the movie split its focus about what it was trying to say over things that it. some of them were invested in and some of them weren't. The friendships were more invested as a plot structure. And my problem with it is like, well, I kind of just wish that I had more of a sense of what they have gone through together or what their history is or like sort of what's really at stake with this band instead of it being done in this very surface paint-by-numbers way. You know, uh, like, but I agree with you. Everything else you said about that, I completely agree. Uh, I think where we fun, I think where our real disagreement is how much does the band matter versus how much I think it was supposed to matter. It was supposed to matter more, I think, than it does. That's That's really mm, it. Yeah. I could see that. I could see that. But I think that the movie is consistent in the regard it, as it Maybe. Portrays, maybe. Uh, like, it might be like, um, like for instance, I probably would have a little more respect. Not respect. I got to use a different word. I would probably grant a little more license to a filmmaker who I understood to be making movies with that kind of vibe. Like I was saying, if you were making it, or to use somebody more famous and known, like if David Lynch was making a movie like this, I would probably let go of, well, not every single thing is motivated the way that we expect it to. Right. You know? Maybe that's uh, unfair. Without, <clears throat> with just, I just, out of the interest of understanding. Okay. All right. Uh, and I think it will solve some things for everybody. Okay. Uh, and like... And honestly, not to try to uh, make the audience or make the questions like oversimplified. Sure. I want to ask you just a few Great. yes or I'm no ready. questions. I I don't mean to like. Uh, no, no. Then once you're I being fair, answers, I'll yeah, get yeah. you. I get it. No, no. I'm just literally like I want to okay. know. Uh, do you believe that the movie is more or less about being honest with yourself and identifying based on self, not culture? Yes, definitely. That's the message of do the movie. Do you feel? Do you feel that the movie succeeds in presenting that as the theme? I think it. Uh, you want yes or no, right? Uh, then, yes or no? It does then it? Yeah, no. Does it... Partially, no. mostly no. Okay, well then I don't even have to ask my third question because, like, I think that uh, I yeah. Then you just that's only fair. because it splits. You, you just only, don't buy well, it. only because it splits its focus across several messages. That's that's what I mean by no. Not like it didn't say it, but like it said a se- it said several things, and they weren't all consistent. I mean, to me, it says two real things. It says the thing I just said, and the other is uh, co- because culture is vapid and nonsense, and therefore this movie is nonsense. Right. So go out there, go write your own songs. Or they didn't say this. This is me saying it, but like this is the implication of the argument to me, 
is just go have a good time with your pals, know what you're about, let, don't let others define you. But like ultimately, this movie is equally as manipulative as any one of the trends. That I mean, yes, so, I agree with all that. What if the what if the Pussycats okay. had played? Like, what if? Okay, so what if the Machine had made their like had really boosted their music? beyond what they had been capable of doing like what if it was sort of a produced version of smelly cats you know what i mean from yeah. friends because that was a bit they were doing on friends right where like what if it was like uh unplugged and then they did a version and it was like orchestral like yeah amazing. the produced version that was going through the machine was really good so then the okay. the machine gets broken and they really have to play for themselves at the end of the film right like like okay you know we no longer have the good of fire helping us it's just us now which is a pretty movie tr like trope right then right. to me there are two endings and both of them are probably they probably work a little better than what happened at the end one version is they play it and people actually like them you know like that's the mm -hmm. that's and it's like sort of a reward for being true to yourself right that's very hollywood but it's one ending another ending right, right. i see the ending. another ending that also is interesting uh is they play and people don't like them and so they have to like, okay, well, the band is now yeah. just a thing we do on the weekends and it's not going to be my life. Uh -huh. You know, like uh -huh. that's also yeah, I interesting, that. right? I mean, aren't they both cool endings? No, no, no. I hate both those ideas. <laughs> um, I think that those ideas are definitely with a different movie. Oh, definitely a different movie. The strength yeah. that, of course, but like I, the movie that that, the movie that those endings are trying to make is an, like, against what i think josie and the right, right, right. which we've we've done because that because of your setup yeah specifically because you're saying like so let's say they played like an like i use the word unplugged but you said let's say like the 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 8000 good a fire did something yeah, yeah. that made it actually like robust or right and i'm saying the movie as well as i happen to believe that it whether it were like a acoustic transitions to a you know fully produced a mastered single they're both manipulations sure right sure. well what else is there well authenticity is always in yes okay what's why are we not authentic well we're not like because we have too many people too many chefs too many uh or too many instruments let's just make it just a lady and her guitar and it's raw right. and has appeal right. it's like a star is born right. you know you do that, that is equally a manipulation and a trope that is identifiable because we live in this postmodern world. You can't separate it unless you have been living under a rock. You can't so, constantly say that you aren't aware so of So what this. you're really saying is in 2021, you can't make that movie because I don't know if that was true no, in 2001. I think in 2001, you couldn't make it. I don't think so. I think so. that's what's in 2001, they're making this case. They're saying that it's all collapsible. It is postmodern. I think, fucking... I think you're doing a very smart read on this that is not what I don't think the film successfully communicated what you're saying. It might, I, again, I think it, I think it might have tried to even, I could even say that, but they didn't bail enough on the, they didn't bail enough on the band and the success of the band, like in the third act for me to say, yes, that's what they were saying. Cause it like, we're clearly yeah, supposed to be right. like, yeah, they won at the end. We're clearly supposed to. I don't. I don't think oh, so. Oh, I think we are. I think you're supposed to just go like, and then it uh, fucking all just play it off. It doesn't matter. Just like do the. No, thing I think they gave do. us like a big saccharine like high five at the end, right? Uh, I, I, like I, I feel like maybe yeah. maybe we've exhausted this. I will say now, my favorite thing that happens that is not a main plot point, 
like just favorite side mm. character thing that happens in this yeah. movie is the fourth guy from Dejour just yeah. walking up on uh, the the friend that they hated and just like you're mine lady and like she like it gets yeah. into it killer like it really killed me i was like man that guy's yeah. killing it right now <laughs> it's no, fantastic the, uh de is like uh it's it's one of the best they start they start really well with it with backdoor lover like everyone is doing the thing uh yeah it's really like it's almost like that maybe it was because they're so in it but there's little isms they do little like things that seth green does like even how seth green is whiny in the plane scene he like it's still he, like he's yeah. still trying to he's still trying to save face in a way that like i don't know it's exactly how i imagine like one of the backstreet boys would act like it's so funny because i think they were so in it because 2001 was like the heyday of that that they were like dropping little like visual cues just by the performance that are maybe not even entirely intentional just going on with like this is how someone dances this is how someone like does like acts cool because like because <laughs> boy bands definitely had ways in which they're like if you hold your fingers this way while you speak that means you're cool and it's just like oh they're nailing the all of those yeah, the face. that we didn't even know we just kind of you know, now we talk about these things more, you know, now because social media because is so of the instant, internet. Yeah. any cultural sensation, uh, we have an immediate reaction and like all reactions are immediately done because it, there's so many instances of thought. So you go to Twitter and you're like, all the jokes have been done. All the takes have been had. And you're like, okay, so now we are instantly postmodern. That's the only difference between making, like, I don't know, Josie and the Pussycats in 2021 versus making it in 2001. Like, I think I, 20 years ago, they knew at the time, like, they just didn't have the internet in the same way. Maybe. So they weren't be able, they weren't able to identify, like, that's why I don't think they, they went so far as I think you and I both kind of do want. I will give you that. Even though I don't like the endings you laid out, not because the endings are bad, but because of the inconsistency. Right, because you don't like want the movie to be to like that. I perceive yeah, yeah, the yeah. movie. But like the nuance of the lampooning, the satire itself, you're absolutely right that like if this movie were made today, this movie would not even it wouldn't nearly be enough. Like this would be like the act one to well, it. Well, I know? so That's I why think I like the, Rick and Morty and stuff. a good version of this kind of story, uh is like well maybe not exactly the same but a similar version is uh, Scott Pilgrim right like yeah. Scott Pilgrim he uh is sort of avoiding having to address his like personal faults the entire time uh which is a thing that is sort of happening in Josie the Pussycats in that they are avoiding the nagging feeling that this isn't what it's supposed to be like they keep squishing it down, mm-hmm. so there's that similarity, and also mm-hmm. that in the end, he kind of throws off a lot of the the expe- like the expected battle stuff that's gonna happen. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. they kind of do it, and then they kind of don't do it. Like they undermine it a bunch of different ways. Uh, so I think like maybe that's maybe that movie is a little bit more of an updated way to do the no, none it of this matters is, thing. It, you know. Yeah, I think the the nihilism or the uh, apathy that you perceive in uh, Scott Pilgrim, or I say we should we all perceive, uh, is because of the tone of that, which I love. Uh, I love that movie, which is yeah. very that that sardonic, sarcastic 
I guess, you know, like, I guess anytime they're going for irony, it feels like that irony is supposed to not necessarily be true. It's like something like, like think of, uh, uh, what's his face? Michael Sarah's like scoff where he was like, Oh, you know, like that kind of right. thing. We're yeah, supposed yeah, to yeah. laugh at the idea right. that he is that way. We're not, right. we're, it's a double irony. It's a, you know, but uh, I think that's what most none of people that exists in Josie. Oh no, I don't agree. I think Parker Posey and Alan Cummings are that. I think they are that. I, I think the problem is not everybody is that. I think, I think just the Pussycats are not that. Doctor Evil. I don't know. Uh, but we also laugh at Doctor Evil for being like uh, there is a sarcastic enjoyment of Doctor Evil, right? Like that's the whole idea. Yes. Uh, right. Yeah, but there isn't an awareness like uh, of. The... Oh, I don't know, man. I don't know. I think there is with Doctor Evil. I, I, I mean, the second movie they have a miniature clone. Yeah, like, I think that tells you they know exactly what they have here. Well, right. There's many things going into that answer. Um, right, of course, of course. Uh, <laughs> Forgive me but, for yeah, 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 flippantly yeah, throwing I, that I in there. Yeah. I don't know. I, I guess, yeah. I would, hmm. Like, I, I, I think everybody has per, like perception biases, right? Like, and that's not right. just as a media consumer. Like, that's like you know a philosophical fact, right? As close as anything can be a philosophical fact, right? It's like, look, perception and bias are, you know, ingrained in all of us in different ways. So reality, whatever that is, is a difficult thing to t- discuss meaningfully. But we all still try because we're all still in this world trying to find a way to communicate across the chasm of perception, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and in your and I case, I think we kind of constantly come back to this, like, how do you, like, what are these, do films that are doing comedy... May, are they actually asking you to divest of the expectation of story meaning? Because um, sometimes you've said yes, and I haven't seen the movie that really did it yet, although I've seen movies that tried uh, better than others. So I don't know. But they still kind of come back and start saying, yeah, but you're supposed to care that Scott Pilgrim gets Ramona at the end. You know, like yeah. you're, you're still supposed to care about that. And it's like, boy. My thinking on that is it's more convention. But not necessarily. But that's just different words of the artist. What do you right. mean? Right. Well, because uh, you're only. No, I'm sorry. I, I'm re- I'm being too reductive. Uh, no, I'm just going to take that comment back. I'm okay. Just, I'm just. Re- I'm yeah, just going to. I just want to just to elaborate yeah. a bit more in case. Like, uh, I think that the structural. I do believe in the structural things mattering, even if someone doesn't think they matter. They always matter. Uh, form right, right. is everything. Right. Uh, you right. cannot convince me otherwise. And the idea of genre and the idea of forms being familiar is very powerful and an aspect of Hollywood and movie making in general. Of stories, especially in internet filmmaking. So it's not just the pointing out, but that I know what you mean by the pointing out of tropes and saying like, "Look at this thing! Isn't that silly that we do this?" I'm talking about the genuine, just feeling that you get away from a movie. And you you went through these beats and you felt these things. And if they don't do that, you are left unsatisfied. Uh, right. Much in the same way, I think that you are unsatisfied with Josie a little bit. I think, and I think that that's fair because I think that that in mass manipulation that movies do from the beginning of time, stories mm-hmm. have done this kind of you know propagandist kind of duality. I believe in my soul that you it's almost like you have to follow these rules 
more or less. Only uh, unless you want to point out that I'm not following the rules and look at I'm I'm a stinker. I'm not following the rules. <laughs> like some movies do that. Kubrick loves to do that. Yeah, he does. Uh, and he does you know what? Do. That's great too. But it's you're now making your movie only about that thing. And in this movie where we do talk about the problematic aspect of its genuine its authenticity the most upfront it can be and most honest and authentic it can be is to point out at all times while breaking the fourth wall the obvious manipulations of both sides and i think that there's point okay. to me on different movies another movie that also does that i think it's what's the strength of josie and the pussycats i think it's what makes it consistent and relevant movie to almost every time period on top of that i think it's a cult following movie that also has just like genuine fun times that are being had but i agree with that i agree with that piece i guess too. my main deal i love that deal i think it's really interesting uh i think it's a, a cool read that it's not the primary one I take away from it, but mm. one I completely understand. Well, I think there's, yeah, I see the validity of it uh, because I do at the end of the day, believe that there are multiple readings possible for yes. all pieces of art. Director handshake, one. director nod. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, but I always approach this as, I, I always approach these conversations between you and I mm. as like, well, what if we were making the movie? Like, is it successful from the I tried to say this, did it say it way. Uh, but as just a consumer of the movie, I think you're totally right. You know, like absolutely right. Also, I was very surprised that this movie had the sort of, had the temerity to do these kinds of subjects. I thought it was a little bit uh, gutsy for a little indie film to take on this. Uh, I wanted to like the band. Want to thank you for having the patience of listening to oh, me yeah. talk about the sublime and subliminal Josie and the Pussycats. We're calling it sublime. It's sublime You're gonna put baby. the word sublime in there, dude. Okay. Girl rock movies are the best. <laughs> you heard it here first. That's an episode. This has been a small beans endeavor. We're a bunch of pals who make podcasts, sketches, music, web series, and movies. The beans always have new ideas percolating, so make sure to check us out at patreon.com slash small beans. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash small beans, where you can browse all of our current and past content, see what we've got planned in the future, and learn how your support can help the small beans grow into huge giant monster beans. If you enjoyed this content module, please like, rate, subscribe, or tell a friend about us. We love you.